You know, the great Stevie Wonder's Sign Sealed Delivered is the perfect kickoff, the perfect introduction to this teaching series we're beginning today, the God of romance. The God of, yeah, woo, somebody is fired up. <clears throat> and I love it. I'm fired up as well. I love this logo that was done for us, our team did, the God of romance. Capital G, of course, refers to God who gave us the gift of romance, but it also, you'll notice there's a lowercase g in there because isn't it true that a lot of times we can make an idol, a lowercase g, out of this thing called romance? It can become something that consumes us if we're not super, super intentional. The, the lyrics to Sign Sealed Delivered, I think, capture the excitement as well as the myriad mixed emotions that romance brings into each and every one of our lives. Just as a quick reminder, like a fool, I went and stayed too long. Now I'm wondering if your love's still strong. Anybody else been there? We, we've all kind of gotten that t-shirt, haven't we? How about, <clears throat> then that time I went and said goodbye, now I'm back and not ashamed to cry. Ooh, we baby, you set my soul on fire. That's why I know you're my heart's only desire. Ooh, baby, here I am. Sing it with me. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Whoa, that, that'll just get you going. I love the idea that God has given us the gift of romance. It, it may surprise you to realize that this was in the heart and the mind of God when he created us, that he, he built us, he hardwired us to desire romance, romantic connection with one another. It's a part of the healthy human experience to desire, desire, romance, and, and to, to make it a part of our lives. And yet, isn't it also true that this God-given gift designed for his glory and for our good, isn't it true that sometimes it can take us away from both of those goals? Has anybody here ever made a mistake because of romance in your life? Can I just see a show of hands? If you've been alive for 15 minutes, you've made a mistake in romance. I mean, it's just kind of part of it. And so that's why I'm excited about this series. I, I think God has something for us, not just because this is the month of February and Valentine's Day is the talk of the town and the thought of the town, but because we have the opportunity to really and truly get our minds and our hearts around this gift called romance. God has given us the gift of romance to invite us into the deepest, most profound love story the world has ever, ever known. Our biblical baseline for this series is found in the book of Psalm, verses, verse, chapter 37. In Psalm 37, the Bible is speaking not specifically to the subject of romance, but there is a principle embedded in this passage that if we will put it into practice, we will see God do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Look at what the Bible says. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. 
He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, for some of you, that may be a radical thought to think, I could actually enjoy God. You you may have kept God at arm's length for you. You may have been exposed to some some damaging relationships, some damaging experiences early on that you decided God was not in favor of you, and you've kind of resisted him at every turn. But please understand, that's not the God of the Bible. We, We people can be faulty messengers of a perfect message sometimes. And it's important for us to understand that we were created to take delight in God, to enjoy God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with Sunday morning passion and enthusiasm, tell them, get your delight on. To delight in God, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, I remember when I first started thinking about God giving us the desires of our heart. The Bible tells us, present your requests unto God. Jesus said, if two or more of you agree on something, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And I remember really the first time that I had a conscious awareness of these promises. I was about 16 years old. I was growing up in Houston. I thought, God will give you the desires of your heart. Present your requests. Two or more agree on something, God will do it for you. And I thought, I want a Mustang. I I want to drive a Mustang. And so I I was taking the word of God seriously. I thought, if God says he'll do it, he'll do it. Here we go. But what I hadn't accounted for was that opening phrase, take delight in the Lord. See, when you begin to enjoy God, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. When you begin to seek God first, when you begin to put his priorities at the center of your universe, understand that he's probably going to reorder your priorities. As I began to pray about the Mustang, I began to realize, you know, as I focus on God, as I focus on God's priorities, as I focus on God's laws, on God's word, The Mustang would be great. I would take one right now. But that's not really central to my living out the purpose he created for me. That's really not mission critical to being the man God has created me and called me to be. And so I began to understand more about reordering my life and putting him at the center of the universe and then the desires of my heart start to line up with the desires of his heart. And I understand then that even in this romantic realm, God wants to use romance to shape my heart, to to mold my life, to, to help me be more like him, to live out his purposes in this world. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are thinking, well, Okay, that I understand, but I mean, romance, is that really a Sunday morning worthy subject? I mean, I don't know if that's deep enough. And I understand where the question comes from. 
But let's remember it was God who gave us this gift. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning, God created Adam. And when, when God created Adam, before he had made Eve, he saw Adam alone in the garden. He goes, this isn't good. It's not good for the man to be alone. And so he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he took a rib. And from the rib, he fashioned a woman. He fashioned a woman and woke Adam up. And Adam woke up, and he saw Eve. And he was like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Look at this gift. In the original Hebrew, he said, ooh-wee baby, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. In the original Hebrew, truly, Adam woke up from this deep slumber that God had called him into, and he was like, whoa, man, woman, whoa, man. He was blown away. He was attracted to her visually and physically. They, they, they came together as husband and his wife, and it was part of God's creative genius. It is part of his desire and design for humanity that we should experience this, but not that we should leave it there. Since we're going to be talking about romance for the next few weeks, I want to give you a working definition of romance. Romance is both a noun and a verb. The noun is defined as a feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love. A feeling of excitement and mystery associated with love. And then the verb means to court or to attract someone else. Man, there's something about romancing another person. You know this. I mean, I think about men. We do this when we first start dating that woman who will become our wife. We go the extra mile, don't we? We bathe. We brush our teeth. We do not burp. And we, we, we show up with, with gifts and, hi, I've got a lovely evening planned for us. Is this okay with you? Maybe, do you have any food allergies that I need to know about? <laughs> but something happens along the way. Men have a tendency, after a while, after the wooing, after the romancing, and, and we're wearing the ring. There, there's, there's a ring ceremony, but then there's a, a courting Jersey retirement ceremony where we, we kind of lay back in the easy chair and we lift that courting jersey that we wore up into the rafters and we're like, yep, that's what I did. That's how I won her. <laughs> and we retire that jersey for some reason. Now, ladies, let's not get too cocky. You can retire your jersey as well, but that's another sermon Another time for another pastor to preach. <laughs> but this romance thing is a gift. It's a gift that God gives to us that then, for us to experience in its fullest form, we give back to God. You see? God gives us this gift, but... For us to experience everything he has for us in it, we have to be willing to give it back to God. We have to be willing to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. 
Julie and I took a circuitous route to the altar. It was not normal by any stretch. We'd known each other for seven or six or seven years before we ever started dating. She's from Laurel, Mississippi. I was in Houston, Texas. She'd come from Laurel to visit family in the summer times, hang out with our church youth group. We attended the same Bible studies. We went to church together. We ended up teaching certain classes at high school and middle school camp together. We were in Bible studies together. We played on softball teams together. We spent a lot of time together. And then one night out of the blue, I, I, I could take you to the exact spot on Google Maps where I was standing in her aunt and uncle's kitchen in Houston when it just clicked. And I said, if you don't marry her, you're an idiot. And I realized that that was God speaking to me. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard, I, I felt God saying, Mac, don't be an idiot. That's how God talks to me. And it was like, done. We had already done all the preliminaries. We had known each other for seven years. I knew her family. I knew where she came from. She knew my family. We, we had been around each other. We had the same priorities. We had the same goals. We were called into ministry. All of those things lined up. And I was like, this is done. Done. We got married, had a couple of kids, got to be a part of starting Lake Hills Church. We moved to Austin in 1997. And somewhere around year seven or eight of marriage, I could also take you to the exact spot where I was on Google Maps when we hit a wall. You see, romance is great, but it's not enough. Romance is awesome, but it is not complete. When you hit the wall, relationally, romantically, you need more. We hit the wall and Julie said to me, I think you may have married the wrong person. And, and I will tell you what my response was. This is not my finest moment. I'm just going to be completely transparent. I thought to myself when she said that, oh, crap. That was, I, I'm not proud of it, but that was what I thought. But then I remembered something. I remembered standing in her aunt's kitchen. And I remembered that God had called us together. I remember that God had orchestrated our lives from Laurel, Mississippi to Houston, Texas, and called us to marriage. I, I remembered that, that God had called us to be husband and wife, mom and dad, to Emily and Joe at the time. We didn't even know Sylvia and Allie at the moment. And, and I knew enough about God that God didn't want us to just tolerate each other for another 30 or 40 or 50 years. <laughs> and so that night, we dug in. We began to pray together. We went to counseling together. I was still, I'll never forget the first time Julie and I ever went to a counselor. We walked into the building where the counselor's office was, and it was like six or seven stories tall. And you go down there by the bank of elevators, and there's one of those directories on the wall that tells you where everybody's office is, and Julie starts kind of going, this is where the office is. And I go, put your hand down. Somebody will know why we're here. <laughs> but what I found out is that biblically-based Christian counseling is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give yourself. That's where you come back to the bottom line. 
That's where you come back to your why. And all of a sudden, we began to tear down that wall, the wall that we had helped to build. We'd created some problems of our own, but some of it was just circumstantial. Some of it was just kind of where we were in life. We had two young kids. Two young kids is the greatest birth control lesson that there is in the world. And we learned that we, we have to continue to feed the fire of romance for our marriage to be everything God wanted it to be. And so we started to tear that wall down, but to build some other walls around our marriage to, to protect this thing that God had called us into, to, to feed the fire of romance. And slowly but surely, we started to kind of learn the language. We started to, to figure out how to do that. And we've, we've had moments since then, but that was the beginning of where the good stuff lies. That was the beginning of us understanding that God works through even the hard stuff, even the tough parts. You know, Jesus was confronted on a regular basis by a group of people known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious scholars. They were experts in the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And they were kind of the self-appointed watchdogs of everybody's behavior and religious activity of his day. And as you might imagine, Jesus was a radically revolutionary figure. He really upset their apple cart. And so they constantly were confronting him to test him, to try to trip him up and to trick him. They ended up being the ones who were responsible for making sure that he was crucified. But on one particular moment that the book of Matthew records, they confronted Jesus and they said with this kind of false respect, they said, Rabbi, teacher, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? Moses says if we give a certificate of divorce, it's fine. But I want you to notice how Jesus answered this question. In Matthew chapter 19, he answers them back and he goes, haven't you read? That's, that's a little bit of a shot right there from Jesus. He's kind of like, I thought you were the experts. I thought you were the ones who were so deep. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's like they asked about divorce, but Jesus started talking about marriage. Jesus started talking about creation. He said, you're asking a superficial question. You're missing the point of marriage. The point of marriage is not, can I get divorced or should I get divorced? The point of marriage is, what does God want to do? Now, elsewhere, Jesus said, if your spouse cheats on you, then you are no longer bound to the covenant. The spouse who cheats has broken that covenant. There are some very clear biblical exceptions, but we're not to enter into marriage frivolously, nor are we to divorce frivolously. He said, this is about the image of God. You see, when God created male and female, and they came together, Adam and Eve in the garden, the very first husband and wife, you see, the male of our species 
cannot convey the full character of God by himself. By the same token, the female by herself cannot convey the complete character of God. It is when they come together in covenant marriage, when they become one flesh, one mind, one heart, one life, that's when you start to see the full and complete image of God played out between husband and wife. So when that's going on, ooh, be careful. Be careful. So if you're thinking about marrying someone, if you're thinking about dating somebody more than 15 minutes, you understand what's at stake. It's not just about you and companionship and having somebody to grow old with. See, we have this this view of romance in our life. Your picture of romance may be, I don't know, Ryan Gosling in the notebook. What do you want? That's, That's fine as far as it goes, but it's not enough to sustain bearing the image of God through thick and through thin. But when you do, when it does happen like that, then the romance feeds the fire of what's really going on. And what's really going on feeds the fire of romance. God's creative genius is mind-blowing. That that when we we kiss our, our, our significant other, hormones flood our limbic system. Just just overwhelm. <sighs> I know, guys, you're acting like, oh, that may happen to you, but you know, shut up. I know it happens to you. And I say shut up in the love of the Lord. Now, how do we know that romance matters to God? How do we know that this really is a Sunday morning worthy subject? The Bible. It's the Bible. There are only 66 books in the entire canon of Scripture. That's not a lot. 66 books. Some of them are law. Some of them are history. Some of them are gospel, some of them are letters, some of them are revelation and apocalyptic, but there's a section kind of right in the middle that is known as the the wisdom books. It's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. And most Christians never study the Song of Solomon. They've never read this incredible tribute, this incredible invitation to godly romance. We're going to use this as a guide over the next few weeks as we look at the God of romance, as we look to learn from romance about who God is and how he operates in our lives. It is written as a love poem between a man and a woman and their friends who are the supporting cast. Their friends every now and then chime into this poem and go, hey, good job. Y'all go get them. Keep doing it. You you want those people around you who are going to fight for your godly romance. This couple has them. I want you to, if you've got your Bibles, look at the Song of Songs, chapter number one. I'm going to read verses two through three and then nine through 11. As I said, this is an alternating poem between the man and the woman. Song of Songs, chapter one, verse two and following. It says, 
The woman speaking here, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. No wonder you are desired among other women. Then he speaks in verse 9. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Men, this is a very specific context. I would encourage you to not tell your wife that she reminds you of a horse. I'm just trying to help a brother out. But I'll explain why he says that in just a second. This is actually beautiful, although it may not appear to our current ears. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. This is a, a man and a woman romancing one another, wooing each other, drawing and attracting each other. Now, here's why he said you remind me of a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet, Pharaoh would have been pulled in a chariot by white stallions. They were white because they stood out from all the others. If you saw a white horse coming, you knew that was important. Second of all, he was pulled by stallions because of their power and their musculature. What the man in Song of Songs is saying here is among all of Pharaoh's chariots and horses, you stand out. You are obviously different from all the others. You're, you're like a mare among stallions. You, you stand out in your beauty, in, in how I am awed by you. There's this, this back and forth, this dance of romance that's happening between the man and the woman. And, and it happens gradually over time, this is a couple who is right now in the throes of what we would call courtship. They're dating. They have not yet gotten married. But they're attracted to one another. They're attracting one another. But I want to, know, I want you to I want to point out something to you that is absolutely radical. Keep in mind that the Song of Solomon would have been written about 940 years before Jesus. And notice that God calls the woman to enjoy and celebrate and share her experience of romance with the world. That was unheard of in that day. It was solely a patriarchal system where the man's pleasure, the man's enjoyment, the man's life was the thing that mattered, except to God. God said, no, 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 I, I want a feminine perspective in this poem. I, I want the world to know this is the goal for man and woman to enjoy romance, to experience romance, to share the romance. And so there are three things, three principles that we're going to see over and over again throughout this book, the dance of romance. Number one, prioritize romance as a means, not an end. Prioritize romance as a means, not an end unto itself. Romance is a vehicle for the love of God. Romance is a vehicle for enjoyment and excitement that God gives to us throughout life. If you pursue romance only for the sake of romance itself, you will not find it. It will not be satisfied. It's kind of like if you wake up and go, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pursue happiness. I just want to be happy. If you pursue happy, you will never get it. If you pursue God, you will get happiness thrown in. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right living. And then all these things will be added unto you. Romance is a means to an end. It is not an end to pursue in and of itself. It is a vehicle for the love of God. It is a vehicle for growing in faith. It is a vehicle for becoming who he's created you to be. But it is not the be-all, end-all, and not an end unto itself. Number two, promote romance proactively, not reactively. Do not be like the old Eagles song, a victim of love. Promote romance proactively. You're not a victim. You, you are called to be more than an overcomer. Sometimes we think, I'm just going to, I just want love to, to fall in my lap. No, no, no. If you want to find the right person, be the right person. You want to find the right person? Even if you're married, if you want your husband to come around and finally be the right person, then you be the right person. Promote romance proactively. Feed the fire. And I, listen, I know what I'm talking about when I tell you. I know that this can be so, so difficult. Particularly if you're stuck in a rut. If you're like, well, we've been married for a while. He doesn't really take me out anymore. She never really winks at me at the end of the day. And you get in that rut, it can be so difficult. Here's what Julie and I learned at year seven when we hit the wall. Talk. Talk. Listen. I, what I learned is this. I have to share my feelings. So annoying. But all I can tell you is it worked. Now, to share my feelings, I have to know my feelings. Right now, men, I know some of you are like, I'm going to throw up. Don't throw up. Grow up. Be a man. Lean in. If your relationship's in a rut, do something about it. If your business was going down the tubes, you wouldn't be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, we lost money again. You'd be like, man, I'm getting up early. I'm going to bed late. I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to get a consultant. I'm going to get a business coach. Do something. Promote romance proactively, not reactively. And then number three, protect romance faithfully, not emotionally. Protect romance. This is a gift from God. So we protect the gift faithfully. Here's a passage that pops up from time to time throughout the Song of Songs. Again, these are the friends speaking into the life of this man and this woman. Song of Songs 3.5. It says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. The fullest fruition of romance, the sexual relationship between a man and a woman is a gift from God, but it's a gift to be protected in covenant marriage between a husband and a wife. We don't 
we don't just like break it out because the sun came up in the east. Well, it was our third date. We had to make sure we were sexually compatible. Shut up. No, you didn't. Can I tell you something? Barring a serious, serious medical issue, you're sexually compatible. Okay, you can just take that off the, off the table. The number of people who have told me, well, you know, we moved in together for financial reasons. No, you didn't. And if you did, I promise you, he didn't. One time I want a couple to go, you know what, we moved in together because we just wanted to start sleeping together. Just tell me the truth. Don't lie to me like I'm dumb. God says, protect the gift in marriage. And I understand, I do, I realize. I do understand how hopelessly outdated, archaic this sounds. All I can tell you is it works. There is no gift you will ever give anyone ever greater than the gift of yourself. And when you give yourself sexually to another human being, you give them a part of your soul. So protect that in the context of covenant marriage. But within the context of covenant marriage, knock yourself out. Celebrate the dog out of it. The first applause we've gotten all day. I said earlier that romance is a gift that God gives us to invite us into the deepest, most profound love story the world has ever known. And I stand by that statement. I, I didn't write that down just to, as a filler, not something that just kind of came to me. That's actually from God himself. In Ephesians chapter 5, God writing through the Apostle Paul echoes the words of Genesis, echoes the words of Jesus, and it says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I love, this, this is the greatest understatement in the whole Bible. This is a profound mystery. Would somebody help me preach? But then look at what he says, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, now it's not just the image of God that's being represented, it's the purposes of God being represented between husband and wife. It's, it's the purposes of God, so this romance thing really, really matters. Because ultimately it's about him. It's about how we connect and interact and relate with him. Does your romantic interest bring you closer to God or take you away from what God has created you for? That's the question. That's the question. Does romance feed the fire of your faith? Or does it kind of tamp it down and tell you to keep it over here in a room by itself? This is a profound mystery. But he's talking about Christ in the church. 
Jesus who gave himself up for the church. That's how a husband's supposed to love his wife. So if you're dating somebody and you're looking for a list of criteria, start there. Does he love you the way Christ loves the church? Is that somebody that you want to be tied to for the rest of your life? It's about Christ and the church. It's about his perfect, unconditional love for you, for me. See, the stakes of romance are sky high. It's not a game. It's not a little quiver in our liver that we feel from time to time. It's about the heart of God. It's about the excitement. It's about the myriad mixed emotions. It's about the deepest, most profound love story the world has ever known. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today or you're watching online and you've never entered into that love story, we want to invite you to do just that to pray silently where you're sitting and just say to God something like this in your own words, just silently pray and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so I confess my sin to you. And I confess my sin in order to claim your forgiveness, your grace. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And in exchange for your life, I will give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with the moments that follow. We'll explain that in just a second. But if that was your prayer, would you mind just raising your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment? Just raise your hand. If you're online, let your service host know. But your hand in the air just indicates a spiritual commitment that you just made. And as a church, a family of faith with you, we celebrate that with you. Our tradition around here is as you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.